You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Is your God in a box? When you look at God, when you think about God, when you consider God, do you have a small view of Him? We know he's not small. We know he's not, uh, we, we know he's powerful, all those things I just said. But when you look at God and how he's working in your life, what, what do you think of him? Yeah. What, is your, what is your thought about him? And I know I can find myself as an American Christian absolutely having to trust God for salvation. There's nothing that I can do as far as salvation is concerned. He, I simply have to put my faith and trust in him and take him at his word that he has paid for my sins. But oftentimes I find myself as an American Christian or maybe a Christian in the world at large that, that I try to control circumstances uh, of my own doing, Okay. Uh, that I try to control a situation and when I should just be trusting God in that situation and should just be letting God have control of it and taking him at his word. And we're going to look at some different, um, different situations, perhaps true in your life, but we're true in the lives of these different characters in the Bible that we're going to look at that I believe they took God and had a small view of him and as the title suggests, put him in a box and said, God, I think you can only work in this way. That's not our God. That's not our God. Firstly, I'd like to look at this. Is, God in, is your God in a box in your prayer life? in your prayer life. And I asked you to turn to Acts chapter 12. The account here that we're looking at, looking at let me just read verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. So some persecution is going on here in the early church. And... Look at verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. What was going on? Peter was in a bad situation. He was in jail, and they were having a prayer meeting. Exactly what they were supposed to be doing in a situation when they, the church, couldn't control it, weren't in charge of it. They didn't have anything to do with it. In fact, it was far beyond what they could control. And they were having a prayer meeting, reaching out to God. If you look at verses 6 through about 12, uh, if you know your Bible, you will know the miraculous thing that God has done here. And that would be to remove Peter from this situation. Get him out of jail. There was a jailbreak, right? And, 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 and the angel comes and takes Peter out of the jail. In fact, Peter gets outside the gate and he almost pinches himself and says, am I really outside of the jail or am I just having a, a vision in my mind of something that's happening? And he realizes he is in fact out of jail and he is in fact standing there and he goes to the prayer meeting. He goes to the prayer meeting. 
Verse 13, and as Peter, let me skip back to verse 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate, and a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And if you read the next several verses, you know there's this uh, a, a discourse between the two of them, and then Rhoda with the people inside, and basically, is Peter really standing at the door? Is Peter really standing there? They even, the people inside even said, well, maybe it's his angel. Maybe you're just thinking it's Peter standing at the door, because surely God did not answer our prayer in that way. Look at verse 16, but Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were, what's that next word? Astonished. They were astonished that God answered the prayer, really, it seems, far outside what they had any inkling of, what they had thought might happen. They had God figured out. They had God in this box and said, God, we want you to work in this way. This is what we are praying for. And God wanted to do something so much bigger and show them so much more through their prayer life. And when God answered their prayer, they were astonished. They were astonished. The reason I have some of my children's story in the video is to give you a little taste of what God has done in our lives to this point. As you, as you know, they were both born very early, and God taught us so much during that time. Some would even say uh, back nine, ten years ago that they should not have lived, being how early they were born and such. And uh, some, some would come to us and say they were astonished at what God had done. Yeah. Is he not in charge of everything? Yes, is, he is he not yes, able to, to supersede what man's wisdom is? Absolutely he can. Yeah. When you think about your God, is he in a box in your prayer life? Is there some situation in your prayer life that you think, well, God can only work this way? He wants to do so much more. Amen. Continue praying. Continue reaching out to the Lord for that matter. And look forward to what he is going to do. Secondly, is your God in a box when you face perplexities in life? When you face perplexities in life, turn over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Pastor, I don't know if you alliterate your messages, but, but preachers often try to alliterate, and I'm struggling with this word, so perplexities is the best I've come up with. If you come up with something better after service, you can let me know. Luke chapter 8 in verse 41 is the account of Jairus, Jairus and his daughter. If you know your Bible, Jairus comes to Jesus and uh, pleads with him to come and heal his, at that point, just ailing daughter, close to death. If you look at verse 41, um, it says at the end of that, in verse 42... It says, he, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay, lay a-dying. But he went, uh, but as he went, the people thronged him. So he was there. He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, help me. I am in a terrible situation in my life. Will you do something about this? He was in, a, uh, he was in the perplexities of life. 
I think all of us can relate to the fact that we have times in our lives that are not only very busy, but perhaps very trying times. And when Jarius considered this situation, his daughter was still alive when he came to God and said, God, can you do something here? What happened? If you know those next several verses, you know Jesus comes across with uh, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. He, I won't say he get distracted because he doesn't get distracted, but he is doing something else. And during that time, the daughter passes away. And if you pick it up in verse um, 49, it says this, And when he, uh, while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying unto him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. His, Jarius's day just got even worse. The perplexities going on in his life got even worse. Jesus does bring some encouragement, though he even tells Jarius what he's going to do in verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, for she shall be made whole. Wow. I'm kind of jealous of Jarius because God told him verbally exactly what he was going to do. If you look down in verse, uh, the next several, verse 53, those that were around laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. There was no doubt in everybody's mind that this young lady had passed away. Everybody knew it. Jesus brings several into the, into the room, verse 54, and he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Made arise, and her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were, what's the next word? Astonished. Astonished. But, she char- but he charged them that they should tell no man uh, what was done. They were astonished once again. I believe they got to a place in their life where they had God in a box again. Well, things are done. It has come to a conclusion. And Jesus was not, that was not the end of the story for Jesus. When we look at our terrible, hard times in our life, God sees the whole picture. And he is there just waiting for us to trust him. Just waiting for us to waiting for us to trust him. Is your God in a box when you face perplexities in life? Thirdly, is your God in a box in your provision in life? In your provision in life. Turn over just a couple pages to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, this is just a little bit earlier in church history. In fact, the disciples were not yet disciples. They had just begun, they were just, uh, just met Jesus and hadn't even really uh, begun to follow him to a large extent at this point. And look at verse chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake with Gennesaret. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ships. So Jesus is teaching there. He finishes teaching. And verse 4, it talks about how he says to Simon Peter, oh, I want you to go and launch out into the deep. I want you to go let down your nets. Peter and his fellow 
fishermen, I'm giving it away, were fishermen as a trade, by trade. That's what they did. If you look at the next verse in verse 5, they hadn't caught anything the night before. So when you come to it, they hadn't earned any money the night before. Their provision was lacking that day. They had gotten to the place where they didn't have the money to buy food for their families or to, to provide the needed things that they needed uh, through, throughout the next coming day because they hadn't earned anything the night before. They were the experts when it came to fishing. And when Jesus said, hey, I want you to go let down your nets, they were reluctant to do so. They had their mind of how fishing went. They had in their mind how you do fishing. And though they obeyed, they were questioning. Look at verse 6. And when they had, uh, when they had this done, they, incre- they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Of course, we know that they called... Um, James and John over, and they filled both ships full of fish, far exceeding what they had probably ever caught before. And they thought they knew how God was going to work when it came to their provision. And God said, nope, that's not how it's going to work. That's not how I'm going to provide your needs. Of course, Simon Peter understood in verse 8 who he was in, in front of a holy God. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, he says. And then verse 9, once again, it says, he was astonished. And all they that were with him at the draught of fishes, which they had taken, everyone would admit, this isn't normal. This isn't how God, this isn't how God had normally provided their food or their money. But yet God worked exactly when he needed to, in the exact time he needed to, in the exact way he needed to in this instance. Is your God in a box concerning or in your provision in life? God does own everything, and he is in charge. And I'm not going to take the time, but I could share you story after story of how God has worked in mighty ways for me personally. And if you think... If you think about your own life, I bet you could see God working as well. Number four, is your God in a box concerning your purpose in life? Your purpose in life. I'm going to reference Moses. Moses for this. I'll be in Exodus chapter 3. Just some, I know you probably know the account of Moses well, but he grew up. In Egypt, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, got all the training that the the Egyptians had to offer. And it came to the place where he realized that his Jewish people were being mistreated by the Egyptians. And he did something about it when he killed that Egyptian. And then he had to run. He ran to where we find him now. He ran and he was a... Uh, a shepherd for Jethro, his father, father-in-law, excuse me. He was there doing what he thought he was probably going to do the rest of his life. His idea of serving God was being a shepherd at this point in his life. Little did he know, but that God was going to come to him in a burning bush 
And God would speak to him out of that bush and begin to direct him a little more fully in the purpose and plan that he had for him. The first several verses record the conversation that God and Moses have about how God wanted Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, lead his people out. But Moses begins to make excuse after excuse of why he was not the one that God really wanted. Moses was very content to stay as a shepherd in Midian. Excuse number one is in verse 11. Simply put, it says this, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He's basically saying to, to, Moses, to, to God, You know, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to do this. Yeah. I think we could just think about Moses' life and say, Well, you have spoken to Pharaohs before. You're probably the most qualified out there of any other, any other Jew. But... Um, that wasn't exactly God's answer. He said in verse 12, God said, you know, I'm going to be with you. And in fact, he talks about how that he promised Moses that they were going to come back to that very same spot on that mountain and worship him, worship God on that spot later. Proof that he would not only live through going back to Egypt, but that he would, they would in fact bring the children of Israel out. We'd like to think that that's the end of the story, that Moses said, yes, absolutely, I'm going to obey you, God, because you said that you're going to bring me out to the same spot, so everything is going to be great. But that was not Moses' answer, as we know. He, he, uh, he gave some other excuses. In verse 13, he even questions uh, who God is and whether, uh, whether or not the children of Israel would believe him, yeah. that, that Moses had been sent by God. Verse uh, chapter four, verse one records that um, that Moses said, "Well, the 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 the, the Jewish leaders are not going to believe that you are that Moses was sent by God." And that's when God gave the two miracles of the rod turning into a serpent and the and the the leprous hand in his coat, proof that God that he was able to perform these miraculous things. And yet Moses still was unwilling to step outside that box that he was comfortable in to what God had waiting for him, the wonderful blessings that God had waiting for him. Verse Chapter 4, verse 10 records how Moses makes the excuse that he was not eloquent, that he couldn't speak well. Now, I don't know if he was or not, but Moses said he was not, and he was making this excuse to God, hey, you know, I, I just don't know how to speak very well. And God says, hey, in the next verse, Moses, I made your mouth. I will take charge of this. Is not God capable of that? Absolutely he is. Absolutely he is. And then I think one of the saddest verses in the Bible is this next excuse that he gives. It says this in verse chapter 4, verse 13. And he said, this is Moses speaking, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send, God, you pick whoever you want in this whole entire creation. You pick somebody to go do this task, obviously saying that he did not want to be the one picked to step outside this box and serve God in this next phase of his life. Very content to be that shepherd that he was in Midian Verse 14 of that same chapter records this, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, 
And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in heart. I love how God says there, I know he can speak well. Of course, he knew that he could control Moses' mouth as well. But I want to focus on the part where it says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. After all these excuses... God came to a point and said, Moses, why are you not obeying me, essentially? I have given you everything that you need to do this task. But yet, are we, am I, not like Moses very often? I shared a little bit about my testimony, how God called me uh, very clearly when I was 12 years old, that I knew he wanted me to serve in some kind of full-time capacity. But I'll tell you this, I had God in a box, I thought exact, I knew exactly how I could serve God. Now that he had called me into full-time ministry, how was that? I could be an assistant behind the scenes, and uh, I'll serve God that way. Because like Moses, I have, I have some fears of different things, right? And God said, well, you can think about that. You can think that now, but I have bigger plans. And it took years for me to surrender to the Lord. In fact, I really didn't surrender to the senior pastorate, shall we say, until my freshman year of Bible college. And I really think that is a daily thing, where we say yes to God. But I'm so thankful that God was patient with me and continued to work with me as far as my purpose in life. I'll just touch on this briefly. Number five, is your God in a box in your profession in life, in your profession in life. Simply put, has there been a time when you have personally put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? We talk about all these different things, our, our prayer life, our provision, our purpose, and uh, I missed one, provision, perplexities, there we go. Um, those are specifically speaking to a Christian. But if there has never been a time where you have personally put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, not by works, nothing that we can do, but personally trusting him that he paid for your sins, that you are a sinner, that he paid for your sins, and that you accept his free gift of salvation, your profession in life is of your own making. And your view of God is, is one of, of you're going to do good to get to heaven or you don't even care about God. God is, God is nowhere in your box, <laughs> put it that way. I urge you, if there's not been a time that you've personally trusted him as your savior, that's where you need to start. Yes, sir. So where are you tonight? Is your God in a box as far as your prayer life? or your, Maybe you have some perplexing times in your life. Maybe you're struggling with provision in life. Or you know God's working in your heart about your purpose in life. Whatever it might be, God says this in Jeremiah 33.3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He just asks us to call out to him. 
Call out to him, seek his face, whether it's any of those things I mentioned up to this point. Isaiah 26, 4, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. We serve a big God. And then one of my most favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. It's easy to say. It's a lot harder to do. Lean not unto thine own understandings. In all thy ways, again, much easier to do, or much easier to say than do, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He's going to direct you in all those different areas that we've we've touched on tonight and these different biblical characters that we've looked at. So I don't know what it is tonight, but my prayer is that we will, we will walk closer to God today, closer today than we did yesterday. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.